Hello. There we go. All right, good. I want to make sure we're still awake. My name is Mark Grappengator, and I've been with you before, and so it's a pleasure to be back with you again. And uh, I talked to Steve, and Steve was telling me that you guys have been reading this John 15, and I took a look at it, and I thought, this is a great place for us to spend some time this evening. Hopefully I say this evening more than I say this morning. It's old habits die hard, right? So this, this passage comes from a really, one of the bulk sections that John has written in his gospel. He lays out really a, a massive chain of events that Jesus, and a timeline that Jesus spends with his disciples, really in the last days and the last hours of his life. From John 13, where he begins to celebrate uh, the Passover meal with his disciples and begins to tell them about the Holy Spirit, through John 17, where he prays for them to be one in him and that they would remain as one unified group of, of disciples, of, of his friends. There's this magnificent um, just kind of dialogue, really not a dialogue, it's really just Jesus talking and, and sermonizing and talking to his friends and his disciples in the last hours of his life as he celebrates the meal that he is then going to go there for and participate and begin anew in himself through his death on the cross and then through his resurrection as well. And Jesus has this in mind. He sees the cross before them. And there's hours before Judas comes back with the Pharisees and has him arrested and before his mock trial and his beating and scourging and crucifixion. And Jesus thinks through what are the last things that he's going to say to his friends. The people that have been closest to him through his life of ministry, the last three years that they spent with him, what does he want to impart to them in these final moments? What would you say to the people that have been closest to you right before you knew you were going to go and die? These are the words that we have that Jesus has spoken to his disciples and therefore to us as well. So I'm going to read uh, verses 12 through 17 again. And then we're going we're gonna to dive in a little bit. Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all I have, that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Father God, this is your word. These are the words that your son Jesus spoke to your disciples and speak to us to this day 
here and now in this place. May they come alive. May they jump off the page and deep into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. May you convict us of sin. May you relieve that, that conviction by your grace and mercy. May you lift up our hearts to you so that we may worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. May your Holy Spirit move in this place. May it become powerful to us. May it enliven us and bring life to our dead souls, Lord. Make our bones dance again. Make our mouths move in the praise and glory of you, that you would be lifted on high, that people would come to know you as their Savior and as their friend. And we ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are many articles that have come out recently and many just of my own personal experience that really confirms the loneliness that we feel these days in our culture, in our place. The Surgeon General says that it's not heart disease or cancer or obesity that is our most prevalent health issue in the country. It's isolation. Loneliness is linked to increased cardiovascular disease, stroke, and Alzheimer's, and most of us are probably, hopefully, not quite there to meet those things. But loneliness is as much a cause of all these things as is smoking. 73% of people say they feel loneliness and isolation in their lives. Church planting, one, one of the things that I'm doing in my life, starting a church, is known, is notorious for being lonely, for being isolated, for being alone. And I would say even more so when you move from a city, uh, move to a city that you've never lived before, that you know some people in. But even though, even though my sister and her family, is this being recorded? It, is it going to be published? She, she won't listen to it, doesn't matter. <laughs> Even though my sister and her family live three miles down the road from us, family, someone I grew up with, we don't see them on a regular basis. Our family lives somewhat alone. Most of my work at this point is alone and something that I am, I am extremely extroverted. And to be caught up in, in email as we were talking earlier and the things that, that make church planting, uh, church planting, it's an extremely isolating and lonely experience. This is kind of um, what we experience friendships to be, though. Many of us have moved from somewhere else to Denver, and either we are running from something or maybe hopefully we're more so running to something. We find ourselves lonely in the communities and the families that we've left behind. But being lonely is okay. Needing friends is something that's okay. That's not a conviction against us. That's actually a reflection of God's image in us. He made us to need to be in community, to need friends. And when we feel lonely and isolated, that is just the image of God that He has placed in us, reaching out and screaming to be connected to someone else, just as He is in His own person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship a God who is three in one, community in and of Himself. Friendship, then, is a basic human need that He has imparted into us. Unfortunately, though, we all too experience, all too often experience broken friendships throughout our 
lives, false friendships even. Facebook, right? I have like 1,200 friends. I don't know half of them. I haven't met probably more than two-thirds of them on a, on a real face-to-face basis. We says we have all these friends, but when we pan the camera back from actually interacting with us, we're just sitting on our couch by ourselves scrolling through our phones, right? Even more so, it's not true friendship because we can curate anything that we want those other people to see. And even if a post that we do put up that's moderately vulnerable, that exposes a little bit of our heart, still we do that so we get likes, so that people see maybe just a little bit of who we are. But we are in control of that. We share that. Friendship is actually proximate. It's being near someone. It's being face-to-face with someone so that we see more than just what we would, that, that, that they see more than just what we would hope they see in our lives. Another way that friendships have broken down is that it can be rather transactional. Friendships can just be kind of a means to an end. We interact with people at work because we are close to them. And as we we interact, they become friends, but we don't hang out with them after we clock off or after we go home. Our friendship kind of ends there. We use them. They use us. And when we're done using them, when they've met their purpose in our lives, we move on and find someone else as well. Sameness. We are so Uh, bifurcated and so divided in this world right now. We're hanging out only with people who look like us, who vote like us, who worship and believe like us as well. And unfortunately, and and as, as really as good as that can be, that we can be friends and that we can come and worship the same God, that there's really a shallowness that can take place there as well, especially when it comes to our political uh, atmosphere that we live in. We only have those same opinions that bolster our own opinions uh, being fed to us. Other ways that friendship breaks down these days, betrayal. We have a close friend and suddenly they begin to gossip about us or they go behind our backs. It breaks down. We've done it. I've done it, unfortunately. Marriage, right? When somebody gets married, oh, they're not going to be my friend anymore. I'm just I'm glad I got to celebrate that moment with you, but I'll never see you again, right? When we move, as I said earlier, when kids come along, that takes more and more of our time. That's part of what I was talking to uh, someone earlier about what do you do during the week? What takes up your time? It's kids, man. Like that's what, where I spend the majority of my time. Challenge, modern friendship is challenging. It's difficult. When I was thinking through who some of my friends were, uh, just thinking through this passage, the three people that I thought of that I'm closest to, that I'm, uh, aside from my wife, obviously, don't live in the same city, don't live in the same state, and I communicate with them very uh, infrequently. Uh, aside from one friend, uh, Michael Slockers has been a friend of mine since middle school. It's his birthday today. I called him on the way up here. We communicate through Marco Polo, but he lives in Tulsa. I don't see him on a regular basis. He was in town this last week. We couldn't make time to go and see one another. One of my closest, dearest friends, there's still this challenge of getting to spend re- regular time with him. C.S. Lewis says that true friendship 
begins when one person looks at another and says, you too? You too, you're interested in that as well? Can we be friends? Can we do that thing together? Can we spend time together? Can we eat together? Can we share life together? Because real friendship, real friendship is vulnerable. It's risky, it's costly, it's discomforting, disquieting, and agitating at times, right? We are real when we have real friendship and when we're close to one another. There's always that moment in time when you kick your middle schooler friend's door because he won't let you in the house because of something, you know, something the, the air wasn't right in the day, right? There's always you come to that point of conflict with someone. And that's where friendship is forged, when you can move through that, when you can figure out how you can still be close, even though you're different people. But friendship also embodies love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love is patient and kind, and it doesn't keep uh, record of wrong. And it moves towards one another in this way that no matter what has taken place, in this relationship, that you continue being friends with one another, you continue saying you too, you continue this life of vulnerability and love and, um, and closeness with these other people. Friendship is something that we've always worried about, I think, from when we were in the school lunchroom to even now as we're in our, in our as I'm nearing 40. Someone told me recently, I was, I'm not nearing 40, I'm just in my late 30s. Um, but it's always something that we worry about. And this passage reminds us, and such a simple truth, that Jesus wants to be your friend. Jesus calls you friend, that he's with you, that he's proximate, that he's near you in repeated, unplanned interactions, that it's messy, it's vulnerable, it's risky, it's costly to him, it's discomforting and disquieting to us that someone would say to us, I choose you to be my friend. But Jesus offers us his friendship. And in our passage in John here today, we see friendship modeled, and we see friendship multiplied. We see friendship modeled and multiplied. First, look at verses 12 through 15 again with me. This is friendship modeled. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus models friendship for us. First of all, he says uh, there's sacrifice that takes place in friendship, right? He says, I lay down my life for you. He says, no greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's not so much telling them what they need to do in their lives with one another as he's saying, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I have done for you. This is what I, I'm going to continue to do for you. As he has his eyes on the cross, as he knows what is nearing in his own life, friendship is sacrifice. 
Secondly, it's, it's secrets. Not only is he laying down his life, but he's giving us life, right? No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Servants don't know what a master does. When we employ someone, when we hire someone, we give them a task to do, they do it. When, when we needed our house painted, we said, please come in and, pay, and, and, and paint our house. We'll pay you. And they didn't ask why. They just painted it. And that was great. And then they left. And so we moved in. But when we have friendships, we say, please come and do this with us. Let me tell you why we want to paint our house. We want to paint it so it's fresh, so it feels new. Then when we walk in, it gives us life, and we can invite other people into this space as well and hopefully see that life is being brought to them also. Jesus says, I tell you my secrets. I tell you what I'm doing. I'm including you in my plan of redemption and restoration for this world. The Hebrew word for friend also means secret. We hold each other's secrets when we're friends. Imagine this. Imagine you're in a new city and you don't have cell coverage, so it's probably Denver. You've rented a car and you went out to eat and you're not exactly sure how to get back home or wherever you're staying that night. You pull over and you ask for directions, and a guy tells you, hey, yeah, go this way, go that way, uh, make a right, make a left, and then you'll finally arrive at, at wherever you're staying. Okay, that's one way in which we interact with someone else. But what Jesus is saying here is that I'm not just going to give you directions for your life. I'm going to be a companion for your journey as well. I'll leave those lights on. <laughs> I'm going to be a companion with you. He's not going to give you directions. He's going to get in the car with you. He's going to accompany you so that you can interact, so that you can get to know him, so that he can tell you the secrets of his city and what he's doing here in this place and that's that place as he goes along through life with you. He forms this relationship with you. Jesus wants to accompany you in this journey. Jesus wants to give you life. In this talk I was at uh, this last week, uh, one of the speakers was Rebecca Lyons, and she said, we can't give away what we haven't already received. Jesus gives away his life. He gets in the car with you. He lays down his life on the cross for you so that we can have life, so that we can be connected to the vine. Him being the true vine is where life comes from. And when we are connected to him, we have that life. And he gives his life over to us. Being called a friend of God in Scripture is one of the highest declarations that God can give, that he can make towards humans. God calls Abraham his friend. God calls Moses his friend. And if we read about their lives, we know that they don't have it all together. We know that they have problems. But we also know that God accompanies them through their life, giving them purpose, giving them meaning, leading them from their homeland, the only place that they've ever known, to make them a great nation in another part of the world helping to redeem the people that God had established through Abraham, the people of Israel, to remove them from slavery and to take them back to that promised land that God had originally given to Abraham. God calls Abraham and Moses a friend. Do you call Jesus a friend? 
Would Jesus call you a friend? Is he someone with whom you can share your secrets? That you can share your shame with him, knowing that this relationship is not built on what you have done, but is built on what he has done already for you. I love you. Love others as I have loved you. I laid down my life for you. Will you take my life? Will you carry my secrets? Let him carry your secrets and shame for you. But what does it mean in our friendships that we have already? What does it mean to love them? Well, it's the same. It's death and it's life, right? Part of friendship is laying down our own preferences, laying down our own schedules and priorities. When someone calls us up and says, hey, man, I have a flat tire. Can you come help me up? Hey, man, my life isn't going too well. Hey, this is what I've been experiencing in parenting. My, the, some, a neighbor called the police on me because they heard my kids screaming. That was a conversation that I had with a friend this last week. And I sat there with him, and I, I empathized with him. I grieved with him that he would experience this shame, that I would hold this secret with him. And that, in turn, gives life to be with him, to lay down our lives, to, have, to hold people's secrets, to extend them empathy, to be companions with them in this journey. Being friends with Jesus, though, doesn't just give us a model for friendship. It also multiplies our friendship. Verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus not only models friendship for us, but he multiplies it as well. There's two aspects of this. There's the horizontal multiplication and the vertical multiplication. He instructs us, he commands us, as we've been saying, to love one another. And in turn, what's going to happen is you're going to bear fruits. What does that mean? Bearing fruit is simply that other people, through your loving your friends that are near you by us, loving one another, other people are going to come into and be connected to the vine, the life that Jesus has as well. This word abide means to make our home, to make your home in Jesus. And by doing that, other people are able to be invited to make their home in Jesus as well. A fruit that finds its home in Jesus. And then that carries on this life giving power to more people and more fruit. That more fruit would be, be born out of this. That more people would come into uh, this life with Jesus and carry out this, this command to love one another. It's the horizontal aspect. The vertical aspect is being chosen. And Jesus says, I choose you. It's not that you have chosen me, but I choose you. And this gives us security. This gives us fuel. This gives us access to the Father so that we can then go out and love one another. Right? It's like I said before, it's not so much that we love one another and therefore are included on the vine, but Jesus says, I love you. I lay down my life for you so that you can lay down your lives for one another so that you can love one another. And in doing so, 
I have chosen you. I give you the security for you to know that you, our friendship is not based on your performance, but it's based on what I have done for you already. It's not based on your secrets and your shame. It's based on my secret, uh, uh, my secret agenda of redeeming and restoring this world as it should be, as God intended it to be when he created it. And then he gives us this overwhelming promise to me. I, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to explain it. But he says here that when you bear fruit, you didn't choose, this is what he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit. So that's the first promise of what happens when he chooses us. The second one is that whatever you ask in the, in the Father in my name, he's going to give it to you. Whatever you ask in my name, our friendship, our lives are going to be so interconnected that when you pray to the Father, He gives you what you ask for. You can talk to God as a friend. No longer do you have to go and, and have, make sacrifices in the temple. No longer do you have to have your life together. No longer do you have to do all the right things and follow the cleanliness laws that have been set out. I have taken that for you. You have access to God the Father. Francis Chan of Pastor says, In our day and age, we are getting more and more shallow in our walk with God and in our relationship with others. These horizontal and vertical aspects of our lives are interwoven together so that they form the warp and the woof of our lives. They hold us together. They give us life. They give us purpose. They give us meaning. They give us relationships with one another and with God. Our relationship with God should be driving us into deeper relationships with our friends and those around us, and our relationships with friends should be driving us into a deeper relationship with God. That is friendship, that we challenge other people to grow in their understanding and their relationship with who God is, and they do the same to us. So that maybe we don't, maybe we're not hanging out with Christians all the time, and I, 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 would, I would dare to say most of us in this room don't, but when they ask questions about who we are and what our faith means to us, because, because we've shared that with them, that challenges us to go back and to ask God for His guidance, His care and concern in our lives so that we can share in that understanding of who He is and share that with the, our, some of our closest friends. One of the great things about this illustration of bearing fruit, I think, is that the vine's purpose in bearing this fruit is not so that we have grape juice, but so that we have wine and as Jesus promised in the first part of this passage that we read earlier, is that we would have joy in full. Having more fruit means having a bigger table so that we can put out more and more bottles of life-giving wine, more joy in our hearts. So how do we bear fruit? How do we extend this invitation well, I gave it away, actually. <laughs> we simply extend an invitation. We simply invite 
people into this life, into our own lives, right? Throughout Scripture, it says, come and see, come and taste that the Lord is good. Come and see what God has done in our midst. It invites people into our lives. Part of that is just being curious around the people, uh, about the people who are around you, about your coworkers, about your neighbors, about digging into their lives a little bit more than maybe you're comfortable with, maybe they're comfortable with, and asking them. One of the one of the great, one of the biggest mistakes that I made this last week is is eating alone. I think it's a travesty when we have to eat alone. And I sat down at Breckenridge Brewery to grab a quick bite before I went back uh, to Denver Seminary where I was doing studying and where I was, uh, I was going to this conference there this week. And this woman sat down next to me, and instead of putting my phone away and turning to her and engaging her in conversation about who she was, because she was eating alone as well, kept my phone out, I buried my face in my sandwich, and I, had a, and I ordered a second beer. Then I was tired. But to be curious about the people who are around us, to invite people to go out to, to meals with you, to not eat by yourselves and to expand your tables to maybe, maybe the people that, that you don't think would ever go and eat with you. See, I think eating, and I think Jesus agrees with this, eating is one of the most intimate things that we can do with one another outside of the bedroom. I think eating with people sitting down to a meal, sharing a moment in which we are intaking things into our body is one of the most intimate things that we can do. And in doing that, we share our life with them. We get their life shared with us as well. One of the things that I did uh, today uh, this was a huge uh, moment as I was preparing for the sermon and thinking about how to incorporate this bearing of fruit and really being convicted that um, I care a lot less about my neighbors who don't know Jesus than what I should, especially as one whose job is to share Jesus with those who are around me. So when we moved here uh, 14, almost 15 months ago, and we were out hanging out on our, our driveway at the end of it, and these people walked by and pushed in a new stroller, and we had our kids out and our dog, and everybody was interacting, and, and they lived just down the street from us. They're about the same age. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. They're, we're going to make new friends right away. And, and, and the wife and my wife were, were getting along, and they were connecting, and she's a nurse and figuring out where to get pediatric care for our kids and all those sort of things that we think about now as, as, as parents. And I was talking to, uh, to the husband, to Colt, and we were sharing, oh, what do you do? Where are you from? And we just moved here. And finally the question came, and he asked me, oh, yeah, what, what did you move here for? Oh, my job, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh. There was no more conversation after that. He shut it down. And usually people change the subject on me at least. But he was done Stacy, my wife, followed up with his wife about where uh, to go and find care for our kids and everything and never got a response. I kept puzzling about this. Why? I've never quite received this, inter or this, this level of, of interaction and getting shut down quite like this before. And I thought, you know what? I'm making bread this weekend. This is something that I do on a semi-regular basis. And it's really easy to, to, to pump out another loaf or two. They just had a baby. Maybe I should take them a loaf of bread. 
I know I haven't interacted with them since that moment, uh, except very briefly to see that they, they were pregnant again. And so I, I baked this morning, and I, I walked a loaf down there uh, this afternoon, and my anxiety was, was, was coming up. And what are they going to think of me? Is this, do they think that I'm, uh, oh, I'm, I'm bringing them bread, so I want to share Jesus with them. I want to, you know, pull out the four spiritual laws or share the bridge, or I'm going to bring a Bible and start preaching to them. What are they going to th- How are they going to receive this? God, please help them to receive this with a sense of gratitude, that we're excited for them, that they have another life coming into this world, that we're neighbors, that we can be friends, that I'm not a super weirdo because I'm a pastor. I walked down there and I gave it to them. Uh, Their baby had just been born on Tuesday. He just came home, little Everett. And it was one of the most grace-filled conversations that we had had uh, really the only one since we had only really had one other conversation. But it was really one of those moments of stepping out in faith and going, God, I don't know what you're going to do with this. I don't know what's going to come about, but I hope some fruit happens. I hope someone thinks that you're someone that you can be friends with. That they, maybe they would consider in the very long run of being friends with us and therefore being friends with you. Thankfully, I think one of the things that we can do then is to pray, right? To pray for our non-Christian friends, to pray that they would be open to, to hearing about our lives, that they would ask about us, and that God would increase the fruit of those around us. See, it's not, it doesn't rely on us. The work of salvation is nothing that we can do in this room. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses us to pray, to open the hearts of those around us, to to model that giving of laying down our life for other people, to love one another so that more and more joy can be brought forth with the fruit that God brings about in our lives and around us. And we do this imperfectly. No one of us, none, none of us do this wonderfully. We've gossiped, we've betrayed friends accidentally or very much on purpose. We haven't sacrificed, we haven't answered that call when our buddy uh, you know, calls us out of the blue. We don't hold people's secrets well. We don't let other people hold our own secrets. And in some ways, we just stay lonely. But on the cross, we see this modeled again and again for us, that Jesus became lonely so that we don't have to be. He is our friend for the journey. He hung on the cross and cried out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alone, barren, all of his secrets hanging out, the shame of the world so that we don't have to be ashamed. Jesus holds your hurts and your pains, and he lets you hold hold his. He invites you into a deeper relationship, into deeper connection with God the Father who created you and involves you in his work of reconciliation and redemption in this world. Jesus gives us this command to love one another because he is the one who has fully 
loved us. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you call us friend, that you give us life through your Son, that we can be connected to you because you've laid down your life for us, you've taken on our sin and shame and borne it on the cross, suffering the death that we deserve and giving us the life that we long for. Lord, draw near to us, draw near to those of us who are lonely, who feel isolated. Let us know that you see us in our hurt and in our pain, that we have a friend for the journey, that you don't just give us directions in life, but that you accompany us so that we can have companionship wherever we go. Enliven us by the Holy Spirit. Give us uh, the, the, the desire. Give us the desire to bear more fruit for you, to invite more and more people into your family, to be curious about those who are around us, to expand our tables so that we can have people uh, near us who make their home in you as well. Multiply our friendships, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would forgive our sins as we come to this table, that we would know of your grace and mercy that you extend to us, that you sit down and have created a meal for us so that we can be together with you as your friends, Lord. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.